Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. The minor prophets are always correcting ancient Israel. Jeremiah's words are no different in this sermon. He has something to say about the security that the Israelites and ourselves find in worship. You're listening to Jeremiah's Welcome Sermon by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. I'll read the first 15 verses of Jeremiah 7. And as I read, you need to know where the prophet is. These are words that are given to the prophet Jeremiah as he stands outside the temple in Jerusalem. So he's outside the temple in Jerusalem and worshipers are coming and going. And this is how that goes. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look! You're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name. Shiloh was a place when Israel, when they, they came into, uh, out of Egypt and into Israel, Shiloh was a place where the tabernacle was. So go to Shiloh where I first made my dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name. Shiloh was swept away by the Assyrians by this time. The temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your ancestors, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start by saying tonight that um, one of the things that I love most about Gray's ministry is our ushers. I think our ushers are absolutely wonderful people. And lots of people who come to LaGrave um, say wonderful things about our ushers. They're always smartly dressed. They greet you with a smile. They give you your bulletin. They help you down the aisle. They show you your seats. If you have some sort of problem, they're, they're here to help you. They create a warm, friendly, welcoming environment, which is exactly what we want. Jeremiah would make a terrible usher. (laughs) Jeremiah would be the worst usher ever. 
Because Jeremiah stands at the entrance of the temple, and instead of welcoming people, what does he do? He shouts at them, go away, you hypocrites. Everyone's coming into the temple for worship, families, children. Everyone's smiling, and there's the old prophet. What do you people think you are doing here? Do you think God is pleased by these lambs and these goats and all your chants and all your songs? If you do not do justice, if you keep following other gods, do you think he hears you? No, sir. He will cast you out of this place. This is not a recipe for church growth. The Bible does not record the people's reaction to Jeremiah's welcome sermon at the gate of the temple, but you can bet that they were not pleased. Because Jeremiah wasn't simply being loud and obnoxious at the temple gate. He was attacking one of their most cherished institutions. He was not just questioning their fidelity. He was speaking words against the temple. And the temple for the Israelites was an institution that, for which they had national pride. It was a symbol of their strength and of their unity, a symbol of God's favor. For Jeremiah to attack the temple and suggest that its worship was useless was like being in a room full of veterans and spitting on the flag. It was that level of offense. Because the temple for the people of Israel was always a sign of God's favor. Whatever else was going on in the world, so if the Babylonians were, if the Babylonians were threatening or the Assyrian army was at the gate, or if there were any kinds of internal troubles, the people could simply look in Jerusalem, see the temple there, and say to themselves, we are God's people. God lives in our midst. We are his chosen one. We're safe. We're secure. We're God's people. Everything is going to be okay. We are under his wings. He will protect us. And that feeling they had when they looked at the temple wasn't just some random feeling. They could point to Scripture, which suggested that they were justified in having that feeling. This is what the Bible said, Psalm 127. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It's the mount where the temple is. They're like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken and endures forever. Nothing can shake the temple mount. It'll endure forever. It'll never move. Another one of our favorite psalms, Psalm 46, has the same kind of message. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. The holy city will never fall. The temple will be secure. We're God's people. He will protect us. Nothing can shake him. To live in the shelter of the temple is to dwell secure, they thought. Now Jeremiah stands at the gate and tells them something different, tells them that their worship is useless and tells them that if they don't change their ways, God will sweep them and the temple away. I'm sure they were appalled and outraged by this, as we would be if there was some old grizzled prophet standing under the overhang as you came into church and saying, what are you people doing here? Singing, Jesus loves me, this I know children of the heavenly father safely in their, his bosom gather. If you don't change your ways, if you don't bear fruit, he's not accepting your worship. If we had someone like that at our gate, we'd probably call the cops. So why is Jeremiah saying these terrible things? Why is he confronting the people of Israel? 
I want to submit to you that it has something to do with worship. That we can learn something about worship from this passage. Jeremiah is saying these things because the people of Israel have completely missed the central point of worship. They've begun to think that worship is about their security and their comfort. Worship is about assuring them that they are beloved by God, that they are chosen, and that everything is going to be okay, and that they are free then to pursue their happiness and their success. That is not what temple worship is about, and that is not what any worship is about. What is temple worship about? What can we learn about worship from listening to Jeremiah? That's what I want to take you through tonight, and now comes the sort of the, the Bible nerd portion of this sermon, which I know some of you really like. I want to trace the history of the temple as you move through Scripture and what temple worship looks like and how it progresses from the beginning of Scripture, literally from the beginning, to its end. And just as a way to start us off, if you want to understand temple worship or tabernacle worship, you have to understand that when God put the tabernacle, the temple on earth, it was as though he replanted the Garden of Eden in the wilderness. When God put the tabernacle on earth, he replanted a little bit of the Garden of Eden. You all know what the Garden of Eden is. That is the garden in which Adam and Eve were placed. It was a place of harmony. It was a place of shalom. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, a place of intimacy, a place of peace. Everything was well in the garden until human sin came along and destroyed it. All of a sudden, God no longer walked in the garden in the cool of the day with the people. There was a separation between God and human beings, and this perfect garden was choked with thorns and thistles and became a place of struggle a wilderness. But, and you all know this too, God did not give up on that garden or on those people. He set about trying to redeem the garden, to recreate that shalom, and to do that, he called a people, a special people, his people Israel. Israel was chosen people, and they were not chosen, so God and Israel could go off into a corner of this world and have a little click, a little alone time, and keep to themselves. No. God called Israel to be a witness. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Genesis 12. Exodus 19, verse 6. You are a priestly people. That means you're supposed to resent me. You're supposed to represent me to the rest of the world. So the function of Israel was to be the people who were a witness to God, to his lordship, and to his plan to bring back Shalom, to live by his commandments so that all those people would see those people, the way they live, the commandments they live by, they worship the true God. They know true peace and true shalom. The tabernacle was a central piece in what created that community. The tabernacle was a little bit of the Garden of Eden. Inside the walls of that tent, those 500 square yards, everything was clean. Everything was sanctified. Everything was holy. It was 500 square feet of heaven put back on earth, and God went back and he walked in that garden. The glory of God comes into the tabernacle, and that becomes the place he resides. Think about the symbolism in the tabernacle and the decoration. Pomegranates and fruit on the robes of the priests, like a garden. Cherubim on the curtains like heaven. It was the dwelling of God on earth, a replanting of the Garden of Eden. 
that was supposed to teach the people to be God's people so they could be a witness to the world. It was never just about them. It wasn't for themselves. It was for the world. Then comes the next stage of the tabernacle is, of course, the temple. The temple has essentially the same function as the tabernacle, except now it's not in a wandering people. It is in an anchored place in a nation of people who live on a land. And now it's not just the way they treat each other, it's the way they live in the land that becomes a witness to all the other nations. The nations see how Israel lives in that place, and they learn that Yahweh is the one true God, and they are drawn to him. All nations, kings bringing their offerings, all that imagery from the prophets is meant to show that Israel's worship is meant to attract others. So that's the temple. What's the next stage of the temple? That's when Jesus dies on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, what happens to the temple? The curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. A good way of thinking of it is that um, when the curtain is torn, God begins temple renovations. Just like if you were renovating your house, you tear down walls to make it bigger, that is what God is doing. He's tearing down walls to make it bigger. The Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory is coming out of that temple and going out into the whole world at Pentecost. And now there are temples all over the world. We are the temple. We, the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, we are the temple of God. And everywhere there are churches, these little communities are meant to represent God's glory and God's grace and the way we treat each other and the way we do justice to the people around us. We show what the reign of God looks like, and we draw people to him through our service and through our witness. The last stage of the temple is in the book of Revelation and the vision of Revelation 21. That's the part of Revelation where we see the New Jerusalem. So, quiz question, where is the temple in the New Jerusalem? It's a trick question. There is no temple in the New Jerusalem. Revelation goes out of its way to say that. Why does it say that? Because you don't need a temple anymore when everything has become the temple. The shalom of the garden has returned, and so everything in the New Jerusalem and in the new creation is the temple. The peace of God, the justice of God, now covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we know this is the completion of the temple because of one interesting feature. What is the shape, another quiz question, what is the shape of the New Jerusalem? What's its shape? Is it a sphere? Is it a rectangle? What's its shape? It's a cube. It's a cube. Now, why is it a cube? Why is that significant? What other cubes do we know in Scripture? The other cube is the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So you have the rectangle of the outer court, and then you have the inner building of the tabernacle, which had the most holy place and the holy of holies. That place was a perfect cube. So when Revelation tells you that the new Jerusalem is a perfect cube, what is it saying? It's saying that the holy of holies has come to earth, and now it's as big as a city, and Christ himself sits on a throne in the midst of it, and the whole world are the precincts of the temple. The whole world has become the temple of God. So you have this progression. Tabernacle, temple, 
churches, new Jerusalem, new creation. And all along the way, the worship of the temple and the worship of the churches is meant to proclaim that trajectory and proclaim that kingdom of God that he's working towards. And Jeremiah is so angry with the people of Israel and the people of Jerusalem because they've made the temple worship about them. For them, temple worship is about security, comfort, tradition, status quo. For them, temple worship is about we are God's people, we're okay, nothing can shake us, so we're free to pursue our happiness and our success. There's no longer any push towards justice. There's no longer any push towards personal holiness. It's all comfort and assurance. Jeremiah says, because of this, God's wrath is coming and he will knock this temple flat. And as you know, that's exactly what he does. Prosperous and relatively comfortable churches like ours need to spend time with Jeremiah 7 once in a while and listen to the Sermon of the Prophet. Prosperous and relatively comfortable churches like ours who love their worship, who love great anthems and great organ and polished sermons need to spend time with Jeremiah 7 once in a while. What is our worship for? Is the beauty of it and all the work we put into it meant to make us feel secure so that we leave this place feeling good about ourselves? Is it we are God's people, everything's going to be okay, so we're free to pursue our lives? Or is it something that moves us towards holiness, towards sanctification, towards justice and care of the needy? It's tricky. Because worship is about security, right? I mean, the message of security and everything's going to be okay, and that's central to what I try to preach every single week up here. That's absolutely central to the gospel. There is nothing in all creation that can take us from the hand of God, right? We are secure. But what is the security for? Because there are different kinds of security. On one hand, there's security that is designed to bring comfort. If you go on one of those all-expenses-paid, uh, all-inclusive vacations, say down in Mexico or the Dominican Republic, sometimes those resorts, which are really nice and a lot of fun, are in fairly high crime areas. And so they will have high levels of security, right? There'll be a perimeter wall, and there'll be cameras, and there might be guards with guns, and they're all there to make sure that you're secure so that you can swim in the pool, so you can go to the bar and have a Mai Tai, so you can eat in a really nice restaurant at night and have a good time and not worry. That's security for your own comfort. And in that context, that's fine. There's also a kind of security that has a very different function. When I was a youth leader, one of the events that we liked to do was uh, something called a high ropes course. I think all of you heard by now, but when I was a youth leader, it was a new thing. In a high ropes course, you would do all kinds of uh, agility skills with the team. You'd, you'd do it together and help each other. Uh, and there were things that tested you and tested your teamwork. And what made it hard is that they were all done 50 feet in the air, okay? 
So you'd walk for 20 yards across a balanced beam this wide with nothing to hold on to, 50 feet in the air. Or you'd walk across a tightrope this wide, and all you had to hold on to were dangling ropes while you tried to keep your balance 50 feet in the air. Or there'd be a series of swings, and you'd have to walk from one swing to another, 10 in a row, without falling 50 feet in the air. Now, all this would be impossible. It would be perilous if it weren't for the security, if it weren't for the harness that you were tied into. You were always in a harness, and there was a carabiner tied to you, and someone was spotting you. So that as you went across, if you fell, you'd only fall a couple of feet, and you'd be okay. The security allowed you to attempt this very difficult thing. For the people of Judah, the security of the temple had become the first kind of security, a security of ease and comfort, a kind of spiritual resort. God meant for the promises of his covenant to be the second kind of security, a security that allowed you to go out and witness, to work, to do hard things, to do more than you could ask or imagine. Real grace, real comfort, real security enables ordinary people to do remarkable things for God. Congregation Christ has laid down his life for you. He has risen from the grave. He has sent his spirit into this place. You are strapped into the harness and nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. So go out and attempt great things for him. Amen. Lord, thank you for the security that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you for his death and his resurrection. Thank you for the sending of your spirit. All these things are ways in which we know that we are your beloved children and nothing can take us from your hand. Lord, we pray that the security will not just be a comfort. Lord, may it propel us into works of service for your kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.